Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball. Or as we like to call it this week, uh, this episode was produced in a certain time period and may contain outdated racial depictions. This is a podcast where I, someone who hasn't seen the Disney Animated Canon, am being stepped through it uh, movie by movie by someone who has and very much wants to talk to me about it. <laughs> I'm Fox, I'm a Disney fan, he's Talon, he's a media studies nerd. I mean, I think at a certain point I've just... It, it, it's just I'm a teacher. <laughs> I feel like media studies nerd is more descriptive. Oh, fair enough. Anyway, um, this week we watched 1941's Dumbo. You said that questioningly, but you are correct. Yay! Well, I figured you're going to correct me if I get it wrong. Eh, probably. Yeah. Uh, yes. Or check Wikipedia on the fly. Yeah, well, that's going to happen anyway, because some of these names that I'm going to be referencing later on in the episode are <laughs> incalculably of their time. So, this one, we're pretty sure you hadn't seen in its entirety before tonight. Yeah, and uh, like Snow White before, it turns out I had. It's just nothing <laughs> happens. It's very... Hey, a lot happens in Dumbo. It just happens really quickly. <laughs> All at once. And uh, if you're expecting for some kind of denouement, you're fucked. Yeah, uh, structurally, this movie's a bit of a mess. But that does mean that, hypothetically at least, conveying the plot in 60 seconds should be pretty doable. Yeah. I believe it's your turn. Oh, you would like me to do it? This will be a cinch. Okay, uh, and look. go. Oh, we're starting already. Okay, uh, baby animals are delivered by storks. Who knew? Uh, this one was delivered late, and some bitchy old lady elephants accidentally turned him, caused him to acquire a physical deformity, uh, which the world happily made fun of until they could profit from it. And when they had profited enough, his life was fixed by being popular and rich. The end. See, yeah, oh, yeah. By the way, that was easily under under your, um, <laughs> your sixty seconds. Though, um, I it, left out a few details. <laughs> not really, though. Most of it is just this movie dirtling around the kitchen. Um, I described the moral arc of the film. I I left out the characters who talk. Yes, but I will note that you also crucially left out every racism bit. Well, that's not important to the story. Um, but <laughs> it's almost like it was just put in there because. They figured it wasn't a big deal, and it was fun. You know, nothing dodgy there. It's interesting that you say that the uh, that the older woman uh, gave him the birth deformity, whereas I watching that sequence, I mean, I do have vague memories of like, oh yeah, when he sneezed, his ears grew. Oh yeah. But in that sequence, his ears are tucked behind him the whole time, and like, I don't necessarily see it as directly causal but that she did bring it to everyone's attention. Don't get me wrong, she's awful. She's the worst. But, you know, she's a woman in this movie. And as you can tell, women are terrible. Except for the one woman, who is your mother, who never says anything. Oh, she says one thing. Yeah, but not while you're around. What is what is the one thing that she says? Uh, his name, which... She literally says nothing but the name of her child. She's a Pokemon. It's not a good look. No. Um, but that didn't stop this from being Young Fox's favourite film... From as early as she can remember. Yeah. Uh, I love this. It's full of adorable baby animals. And Dumbo is such a good, nice boy. I've watched the clown section multiple times. All right. And I've seen the elephants held up as an example of appropriate church behavior. <laughs> what? Actually, is an object lesson. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. I mean, they definitely, uh, with the benefit of hindsight... I can absolutely see the, like, awful church wife archetypes that are going on. Yep. Uh, and you may be interested to know that, like, uh, uh, they are referred to 
uh, behind the scenes and, and by script as such as the old maid elephants. Yeah. So, everything that goes along with that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, th- there's a reason I make fun of this story's moral arc, even while I, I still just, I still love this movie. I can't help it. Yep. That's just what happens when they get you that young, I guess. First section. Product of its time. I, I have some reasonably neutral product of its time content here, which is to say uh, the depictions of certain animal behaviours were in some oh, right. cases made with a sort of best understanding that is also quite stupid. Like, well, it, they're doing funny animal stuff, like ostriches sleep with their heads in the ground because ostriches stick their heads in the ground and that's funny, except for the part where they don't. But yeah, we, exactly. We did believe that they did. Yeah, and... I don't think anyone thought they slept that way, but if... If you accepted that it was ostrich behavior, then it was mm. funny to extend that into their, their you know, cute sleepy time scene. Uh, hippos can't breathe underwater. They sure can't. Um. <laughs> this happens again and again in early Disney stuff. I think it's just like one of those things. It's like, well, hippos live in the water, so they must be amphibious or something. Yeah. Hippos got enormous lung capacities. They can go underwater for a long time. Don't sleep down there, though. No. No. Oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to hold back on that one because it is okay, possible they actually do. don't sleep down there overnight for their actual, like, overnight rest. How's uh, that? My, my main thing is just that I don't think hippos, when they're underwater, uh, bre- uh, visibly breathe in and breathe out streams of bubbles. I do not think so. That seemed uh, inappropriate. Nope. Uh, okay, so that's one bit of, uh, you know, of its time <laughs> that's not too bad. Uh, and, you know, the rest is everything else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I Do mean... you want the, to go first? Well, if we're going to address the elephant in the room. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows about the crows in this movie by now. Yep. <laughs> Five-year-old Fox certainly didn't. Um, I don't know who, uh, wouldn't have expected this, but growing up in Australia, you don't, you don't meet a lot of African-American people. Uh, so those stereotypes did not land for me at all. I just thought they were a bunch of cool, fun guys who helped out. And the specific reference of Jim Crow. Oh, yeah. That's... that's I mean, that's kind of off-color even as a... Like, what What are you trying to say with that joke exactly? It's About segregation, it's just, I this guess? This has to do with black people. Yeah, this is a thing I've heard of in the context of black people. It's weird. Like, the absolute best-case scenario for naming the character Jim Crow is you have no idea what Jim Crow means. Yeah, sure. And obviously you do, because otherwise you don't use that name. All right. And uh, now... It, uh, when it comes to voice acting, I was going to ask about that. Like, yeah. I uh, it would be one thing to ha- to do like an Uncle Remus on this shit, uh, but I'm guessing since this is a full cartoon, they probably weren't even black black vocalists. Okay, so I have I have a somewhat more um, giving stance on racial voice casting. Specifically, there are instances where, for example, I like one of my favorite. Uh, characters from the 80s voice acting performances, Shredder from the 80s cartoon of the Turtles, and that's voiced by a black man. Now, the character okay. is meant to be Japanese, and what, what I'm getting at here is, it is not necessarily as simple as there is, uh, there is no reason to ever have someone play someone outside of their racial wing for a voice. No, but, but no one's <laughs> saying that. People are saying if you have a minority, don't give the role to the same white person who gets every other role. Well, that's where I was going to get onto with this. But, because the character in question who voices... Oh boy! Who voices... The actor in question? Sorry, yes. The the actor in question who is the voice of Jim Crow... Just all crows? No, no. 
Okay, so the the guy who voices the crow, uh, known as Jim, who is also known in the credit, known in the script as Dandy Crow, um, is for a start he's the voice of Jiminy Cricket, who sucks. Uh, <laughs> just a chance to take a dig in there, but he's uh, who he's a guy by the name of Cliff Edwards, who you might know as the voice behind probably the version of Singing in the Rain you've heard. Sure. Yeah. Um, also known as Ukulele Ike. So he wasn't just white, he was super white. It's a weird-ass nickname for someone <laughs> whose name is, what was it again? Ukulele Ike. No, Cliff. Uh, Clifton Avon Clifton Edwards. Clifton Avon Ed- Where is Ike in that? <laughs> That's just really annoying. Uh-huh. Probably some hilarious story behind it. Yep. Uh... Anyway, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I expected. It, it, he he was a fantastically white man, and also the voices of the other crows, all the other crows, were listed in the credits as Hall Johnston Choir. And you might think, oh, the Hall Johnston Choir. Where is Hall Johnston? That might be a black neighborhood. This might be, you know, a church choir. No, it's one guy, and his name is Hall Johnston Choir. Yeah, that's... <laughs> See? I mean, I did assume Hall Johnston was a man's name. Yes. I did not assume choir was part of that. Yes, choir is part of his name. Oh, there you go. Pretty weird. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I expected to hear. That yeah. it was it was voice caricature rather than, at the very least, uh, casting some black characters in a of-its-time role. Yeah. Apparently he's also the voice of the gorilla. So just, like, fuck that off, basically. Yeah. Uh, and fuck them double because that like this was something that I loved and they ruined it by being shitty. Yep. So, uh, so and then like the racism in this movie is some some just some real old timey vintage racism. You half expected someone to bust out <laughs> with a phrase like the coloreds or a mulatten or something like that. Just something you haven't heard. <laughs> Boy, howdy! I had forgotten about the uh, camels yep. in the parade. They entirely slipped my mind, despite the number of times I've seen this movie. But yeah, uh, wow, those are some caricatures, huh? And, and and so enormously unnecessary. I don't know what they were not in style with. I mean, obviously they were the element of this circus that was like, ooh, the exotic East, which is also part of Africa. Because God, why, why I, anything? Look, I if if there's no. anything I have learned about this, it's it is that all cultures that are not white are both one when it's convenient and have entirely distinct flavors of exoticism applied to them when it's interesting. Well, bro- broadly speaking, the uh, the animals seemed to mostly be African, and they had some camel riding dudes who looked very uh, 1940s caricature <laughs> of an Arabian person. Oh, definitely. Uh, but also. Egyptian and Egypt's part of Africa. So this this kind of tangled mess of was this intentional? Are you stupid? Are you incompetent? What are you even doing, you scrub? <laughs> well, it's it's not, is it? Like like I said, specific flavors of exoticism when it's interesting, but when it's convenient, all the same. Mm-hmm. So you really don't need to depict anything in particular as long as people think, oh yeah, that's probably what people who live with camels look like. You've also got the um Literally faceless black roustabouts. Mm, gosh, the roustabouts. They <laughs> they had not slipped my mind because that song... A lot of these songs are done by, like, uh, beefy, thick, harmony men's choirs. Yeah. Set, like, it's an amazing sound. Yep. And such a weird choice for a film which is mostly about 
circus slapstick and baby animals. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the fact that they were literal faceless black men who will never appear again in this movie, that had, had slid beneath my notice a few times. Ah, yikes. It's extremely yikes. Yeah. Um, and, and let's, let's not, let's not sell them short on their racism because like they went to the bottom of the well and got the extremely niche weird Italian ringmaster stereotype dusted oh, it uh, off and took it for a spin. Yeah, I guess so. That, that accent is extremely, yeah. I do a great Italian accent kind of voice. <laughs> that That is absolutely someone who thinks they do a great riff on Italians <laughs> and they don't. Well, there's also, like, it's more specific than that, that, that archetype. I mean, it, it's definitely an Italian caricature yeah. voice, but it's also, that's what the ringmaster archetype yeah. has. Well, you, you've got, that's definitely bound up in circuses being places of weird, smelly foreigners. You've got three ways that the ball labeled ringmaster can bounce. Very rarely <laughs> you get Greek. A lot of the time you get Italian and an upsetting amount of time you get a Romani. I mean, what you get is swarthy Mediterranean. Yeah, exactly. And it's I mean, this is the 40s. Frequently non-specific this, further to that. Yeah, exactly. And this is the 1940s. We haven't yeah, let yeah, these yeah, people yeah. be white yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. It's just, and it's like, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of nice to remind, uh, like, all of us in a way that Walt Disney really did hate almost everyone. And, and in fact, this gets expanded out. Because you get to see the wonderful example of how he hates uh, wasps. Oh, wait, you don't know that acronym. Oh, that's an acronym. Yes. Uh, I was just going to say women, but yes. Yes. Yeah. fair. Uh, yeah, the, the, the church wife elephants are... Oh, they're white, so awful. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant church mums. They are the worst. They are gossiping bitty, busybodies. Oh, no, there's one gossip. Who brings the news in, and the rest of them are just yeah. Ooh, but we're the not others gossips. are all hanging out to hear it, oh, but acting like they don't want to. Of course, of course. But we don't gossip. She's a terrible gossip, and we just listen to her. Her name has always been Louise in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Sorry, Louise is out there. Um, yeah, I actually uh, have uh, memories of a church lady bringing up those elephants as an example of good church wife oh. behavior. Uh, and I mentioned how do that- you miss that these are oh. The villains? Yes, um, in a very real way. Well, it helps that she had a cut-down version of the movie that she shared with us, and it involved cutting out, amongst other things, the Roustabout song entirely. Sure. I mean, that would... It's a it's a dark and threatening-sounding song. There are a bunch of massive hypocrites who ostracize and torment a child. Role models, everyone. <laughs> Yay. They were very fond of pointing out that at no point did they say anything. Oh, the, the ladies who admired them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, the elephants also loved doing that. Did you notice? Yep. Um, and by the way, I'm pretty sure if you check that scene, you will find out that his ears were not big before the piece. Just, just want to go back to that one? <laughs> I wanted to say it at the time, but we uh, got sidetracked. All right, fair enough then. Uh, that's all I've got for product of its time. Yep, I'm out. Okay. Any technical achievements? Uh, got a few notes for this. Okay. Um, it, I mean, one of them is just the entirety of the Pink Elephant song. Mm. Let's be honest. Yep. I love that. It's um. I mean, you won't see this very much at all again in Disney, except for uh, when they did Fantasia Time. Yeah. But it's just such a fascinating sequence to have plonked in there. It, Plonked I, being I, the word. Well, I guess to pat out 
a, a very, very short. This film is about an hour, if you didn't yeah. know. Um, but, I mean, that will stick with you. It's just such a fun sequence and such an unhinged, ridiculous song. Yep. It's lovely. Deeply unsettling if you're looking for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the the giant made of elephant heads? Is, is that the, the yeah, that's most terrifying weird. bit? Uh, also, the elephant that pulls itself apart in layers. Yeah, I like that one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and reveals that it's just an outline and all the other shapes aren't. Yeah. Oh, it's a fun sequence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know anything about any particular techniques or anything. I just really like that that sequence feels like the animators just going, what's well, fun? Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> uh, continuing growth of the uh, fat bums as comedy <laughs> section, like the big elaborate sequence of them stuffing the elephants into the cart and the, uh, the ringmaster's bum being basically a sphere. Oh, well, you know, big saggy elephant butts are always going to be fun to do uh, slapstick sequences with. Uh, My only other technical note was, uh, this is the first time I've noticed fabrics acting differently when wet. I've been watching this because these Disney movies have been very wet so far. Yeah, and quite Um, bad at it too. Well, yeah, I mean, it's super fucking hard to keep track of when something's wet and when it's not and animate it with the weight of, of water in it. Mm-hmm. But I did see that starting to happen a little bit, just with uh, Timothy's jacket and whatnot. God, this a... is a weird movie. This is a movie where the main character has no dialogue, and the character who does most of the talking for most of the film, we don't learn his name until a still at the end. Yeah. Such a weirdo film. Um, there is a, another thing, and this is more stylistic than technical, but the repeated use of, of tent silhouettes, that, that feels like a dodge to me. That feels like a way to save money. But it Definitely does, feels like a shortcut. But it does lead to these occasional funny things because they use it to show when thinner fabric is in front of the yeah, light yeah. and therefore light can pass through the fabric without making a whole shape. And that's okay when it's the um, rapidly denuding ringmaster talking to the janitor and showing him his junk. But uh, what's really interesting in that sequence with the clowns is the elephant head yep. is transparent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not really considering the opacity of the fabric so much as they're uh, enjoying showing the shapes of things that are on top and underneath. Yeah, it's just, it does beg the question of what the hell is that thing made out of? <laughs> Maybe it's like tissue or something. Yeah, because that's what you it's... absolutely want to have on your head while you're running around a wet area with fire. <laughs> well, no, I mean, something like gauze, maybe. Like, if you consider that, that would probably be a wireframe. I think it's just an animation like mistake. Gauze. What mistake is wrong? Okay, I think it's a choice that makes something dumb happen in the movie, but they did it because they wanted to anyway, because they're animators and they want to show off. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for it. They did it because it looked better that way. That's a, that's a take. <laughs> well, you'll notice that the line that went with was... Uh, They'll show more respect to us clowns, or they don't show enough respect to us clowns. Mm. It's not accidental that that was being said by a man at the time taking off an elephant head and wearing false tits. Yep. So. So, that's all I got for technical stuff. Uh, I really didn't have too much to note. I, so I do have a small thing. This is a very, very small thing on, like, it's almost a lightning round. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But as far as the big issue goes, the big thing I've taken away. Oh, I did think of one other technical thing, but it's not an animation thing. Uh, and you noted it too. Uh, now, the copy of this I watched when I was young had a lot of static in the very opening. So the stalk sequence and the Casey Jones sequence were very fuzzed out and you couldn't hear them. Um, but I really do like the use of the little engine that could. Yes. Yeah. 
as like a, a rhythmic device in Casey Jones's well, dialogue is the wrong word, but yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, it's not like a great technical achievement or anything, but like a nice little artistic flourish in terms of, of sound design. I like it. Just a little heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to... Okay. Um, the main event of this movie. There really isn't one. I mean, I, I figure we're going to be talking about the moral arc of this movie again. Honestly, not really. It's the same thing. <laughs> is it? Is it though like this... Well, it feels like it has more in common with Fantasia than Pinocchio. Born sick, demanded to be well, but don't worry, in the end, you are valued by someone else, and therefore... Well, you're not born sick in this case. You're... I thought you said he's... Oh, oh, the ears were imposed, right? Okay, I see what you... you know. Yeah, no, he was he was caused to acquire uh, uh, a deformity for which he was then reviled by the people who gave it to him. You, you can tell how well that's actually landing for me, that I just assumed <laughs> that wasn't the case. You did, yeah. Um... But the, like, it's not... Like, I'm an ears truther at this point. <laughs> it's never about him needing to prove his moral worth. He's not judged by the goodness of his actions, which is why it's so much worse that the story arc is just, uh, like, it's leading up to, well, they'll be sorry when I prove that I can be a cool guy regardless of what they made fun of me for, but then it just ends with, and, you know, now I'm going to make squidillions of dollars for the people who tormented and ostracized me. Am I recalling correctly that you said you really did not have much in the way of this? No. Because there's not very much movie here. Well, it's not like volume of movie is a problem. I mean, we could do deep literary analysis on things that are five minutes long. It's not like there isn't stuff to talk about, though in the case of this movie, most of the stuff to talk about is how really casually racist it is. I mean, we've already talked about a lot of stuff. Exactly. Um, but as far as, like, what the movie's about, or the movie's point, or the movie's voice, it's pretty hard to get there on that for me, especially because Dumbo as a character is so vague. Well, that's fair. I mean, once again, literally no dialogue. Yeah. And, and you get a decent bit of emotion off of him, but uh, in terms of desire, like... Mm. I mean, he has the desire of a child too young to talk, really, which is he wants to be happy and have people be nice to him. Yeah, he wants to hang out with his mum. <laughs> um, I think it's cut. I I think it natively invites comparison to Pinocchio. Yeah, I can uh, see that because in both cases, it's an incredibly naive child being fostered by a a random vagrant. <laughs> I mean, sure, and and also you could Who's go very small. <laughs> and you could also go with the point versus counterpoint where for Pinocchio, the idea of getting involved in the theatre and performance was inherently a evil one, whereas for Dumbo, it's inherently good. It's just, <laughs> it, it clearly comes down to which racial stereotype is offering you money. <laughs> That's a pretty good point, really. Mm. Um, and Also, uh, Disney had a hard-on for planes, which he didn't have for puppetry. Oh, yeah, really, obviously, yeah. Well, I, I, did he have it for puppetry? I don't know. The whole animatronics thing had to have come from somewhere. It's true. He might have liked puppets, but it didn't come across in the way he treated Pinocchio. <laughs> no, in fact, I, it's, you get the impression more that we like uh, the clocks. Mm. Which, anyway, now we're just talking about Pinocchio again. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Which, which I think is a, a sign of the sheer roundness of this movie. <laughs> like, you approach it and just slide off. I do find it an interesting contrast in that Pinocchio is very much about laying down a moral lesson. Pinocchio's job in this world is to prove himself morally upstanding by the parameters given to him. Uh, whereas Dumbo has nothing like that. Dumbo is... 
not given any instruction so much as just someone notices that he's unhappy and tries to help him fix that. Mm. Which is definitely a, a more... Uh, Ellie, leave it! Which to me is, is definitely less objectionable. Like, I mean, we discussed how much we dislike Jiminy Cricket. But. Well, yeah, and Timothy Mouse is... T- Timothy Mouse is, broadly speaking, just a guy. Which means all of his moral posturing and suggestions is coming at it from the perspective of your friend. The fact that he winds up being right most of the time doesn't really mean anything. He hasn't been chosen by fucking God. Exactly. There's a difference when you assign him that kind of authority. But again, even then, that's Pinocchio. (laughs) That's mostly pointing out how Pinocchio takes something as simple as, Oh, hi, let's be friends and I'll do the talking, and makes it shit. Right, and, uh, you know, this still kind of badly fails on the the overall lesson for the same reason that, you know, your Rudolph narrative does, which is, Mm -hmm. like, the why would you wish to be friends with and help and bring profit to the people who did this to you when you were a freak who didn't have a superpower? But now that you're a freak who does have a superpower, they're your best buds. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah... It's not a good moral. It's just better than Pinocchio. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, that's fair, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also a bunch of the standard Disney capitalism as fundamentally good, creating its own Oh, extremely. Yeah, yeah. Like, at no point was the question, was the elephant reasonable to do what it did? No. That doesn't come up. No one no one points out that the this guy is basically abusing the animals and his staff. And again, showing the janitor his dick. And none of that stuff is ever addressed. It's just, this is natural and acceptable. And, and like, the fact that the mother is imprisoned is seen as bad and you want to get her out. And it's even framed as being a bit unfair. But that's it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the fact that she is out at the end is like, well, did you, did you think she was a mad elephant... Uh, I hope you can hear the finger quotes in in those words. Uh, Or not, because you don't fix that by, well, her son's a star now, so we'd better let her out and hope she kills a kid this term. Well, yeah, he's rich, so he can get what he wants, which, again, Walt Disney, capitalist industrialist. (laughs) It is definitely a a failed message overall. And I mean, there's also that funny way where the blunting of what should happen in those situations like the actual real circuses were way more horrifying than this even though this movie is just 40 minutes of animal abuse it is yeah and it's not got a patch on real life yeah like uh an elephant goes mad well you shoot it i that's it yeah well i yes i did in fact have a note for the lightning round that just says that sure is what they do with rogue elephants Uh yeah Finally, we have the lightning round, which is just where we put anything back and forthy that's probably not interesting enough to merit, like, in a full discussion. All right, let's do it. You uh, first? No, I got very little for this movie, so you go oh, first. I, I don't have a lot. I have very little for this movie, <laughs> so you go first. Okay. Uh, eyelash watch? Yep. Uh, we have some appearing and disappearing eyelashes on boys in this movie. I have a guess. Hmm? Uh, Timothy has them when he's drunk. Hey, Timothy has them when he's preaching to the crows. Oh, okay. When he's playing for sympathy. Right. Uh... And Dumbo seems to have them just occasionally when he's doing something specific with his eyes or when they want to draw attention to them. It's not consistent, yeah. but like when he's blinking water out of his eyes, they're there. But in another scene where it's more of a close-up, so you'd expect eyelashes, they're gone again. Yeah. So they're clearly just a, a stylistic depiction of something that's obviously there all the time, but we don't always draw it. Yep. Yeah. It's a bit of a weird one. 
So uh, the thing I've got is that there is a sequence of Dumbo hammering in a stake. Or trying to, anyway. Yeah, and the thing <laughs> that reminds me of is this old story, uh, which can, which the way I got to it is via colonial Britain um, story. Sorry, stories of colonial. <clears throat> the way I got to this was from colonial British, ah. British stories about India, India, yeah, where the metaphor was showing a full-grown elephant being kept in place by a very small peg in the ground, and the supposedly wise elephant herder who was almost always done with a racist accent would say something to the extent of you give them a very small peg that they can't pull up when they are young and as they're older they will not realize that they have grown and can pull out the peg mm, gross and this is this is a uh, uh, brought up as an example of how to treat india itself Ugh, gross yeah and it, it's just it was a minor thing. Like I said, it's minor. I don't think this, I think this is deliberately evoked. I, yeah, I doubt it. But the but... amount of times you see these elephants being quote-unquote constrained by things, they absolutely are not going to be constrained by. It just plays into that whole trained, domesticated element of these animals. And, you know, it's, it's just... Basically, Walt Disney was able to evoke unconsciously racism even beyond the racism he bothered to put in... <laughs> This supremely racist movie. Intentional racism, racism, unintentional racism, just just lots of racism. Well, okay, so there's there's text racism, oh, yeah. then there's paratext racism, there's subtext racism, then there's subtextual yeah. racism, and then this would be an instance of hypertextual racism. No, wait, this would be metatextual racism. Ah, uh, it's because it's uh, really it belongs to your experience. Yes, technically it's a type of intertextual racism. Gerard Jeanette would be proud. <laughs> he's and alive. I can... Oh, he's not from that guard then. No, he, he's alive. I could go ask him. He's a 90-year-old French dude. He might be a racist. I don't I don't want to push that button. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I do not represent Gerard Jeanette in any capacity. <laughs> All right. I do have an entry for Weird Pronunciation Watch this week, yeah. but it's just Timothy Mouse's entire accent. Uh, yeah, that's not only is that a Brooklyn <laughs> accent, that is such a Brooklyn accent that uh, the, the, uh, there's a helpful internet website of Accent Directory, which wants to make it <laughs> useful to try and show, like, hey, how do you do different accents? And the example they use for a Brooklyn accent is Timothy Mouse. Wow! Now, is that to say it's genuine? Because I checked Mara. this website and I looked up Junkrat from Overwatch, and they said he sounds like he's from Sydney. So this database can go fuck itself off into the sea. <sighs> nope, 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 nope. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I, I find that particularly interesting because once again, I mentioned seeing this movie very, very young. This is where I learned a lot of words. You bet I did not know what a pachyderm was before now. Yep. Uh, and I bring this up only because a Brooklyn accent is a fascinating way. For an Australian child to encounter a lot of words for the first time. Pecky doim. <laughs> Pecky doim. Yeah, um, I understand that there is an intersection with a lot of um, New York pantomime and street theatre and vaudeville jokes as well. Like, there's a whole wing of jokes that rely on that accent for pronunciation to make puns out of things. Yeah, that figures. Um, in- infamously, the one there's one I know which I think works better written down. Which is uh, children in school being asked questions. The teacher says, "All right, uh, little Levi, what's a stoic?" And the word is stoic. Yeah. And little Levi responds, "Ah, that's the bird. What brings the babies?" Oh, right, right. Yeah, and like that's <laughs> maybe racist. I don't know. I apologize if I just <laughs> recited a really racist joke. I'm pretty sure not, but still, 
On the topic of stalks. Yeah. Uh, not particularly apropos of anything else, but, uh, when I always had the impression that the stork in this was like a big time voice actor legend, and I was pretty sure he had appeared in a bunch of other Disney stuff, including being the voice of Winnie the Pooh, and it turns out yes. Yes, indeed. And he has the phenomenal name of Sterling Holloway. Yep. (laughs) Which is just, ah, that's a fucking, that's a 40s name, all right. Yeah, that's a weird pronunciation guide there, because, you know... And he is indeed uh, the, the Winnie the Pooh voice, or was the Winnie the Pooh voice, and uh, Carr from the Jungle Book, I believe, amongst a bunch of other ones. Yep. Uh, this is one of those voices where if you watch these films for your entire childhood, you actually notice that it was him a lot. Yeah. Cheshire Cat? Um, I'm guessing. Do you, You've got his uh, filmography open now, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, he was the Cheshire Cat. Yeah, I thought so. They're all coming back to me now. I'm gonna have to start a Sterling Holloway watch. Um, it's it's a little thing, uh, but this guy was a very successful and popular sitcom TV actor. He was in the Andy Griffith Show. He was voice acting for a ton of um, not just Disney but also Paramount productions. Um, and he was all the way through from this movie in the '40s, where he had already been successful, like he already had a sitcom career. Yeah, you can sort of tell this is not his first. Uh... He it's was outing. He was in Moonlighting. The 90s... Uh, 1980s, no, but yeah. Uh, oh, it is. Damn it, every time I say, oh, that's so 80s, you're like, actually, it was like 1991. And I'm like, god damn it! That's why I look things up. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. But the, the Bruce Willis thing with the horrible, we're just learning to make girls stand up for themselves dynamic. Yeah, the, the Legend of Zelda live action thing. Oh, god! <laughs> Ah, okay new topic uh also just uh, like he he was in every one of those shows you know the kind of ones you can get on cable tv being done in six hour marathons just all of them back to back he he, this guy worked was he in mash uh he he wasn't in an episode of mash but he was in an episode of f troop and an episode of gilligan's island i don't know f troop we're gonna start a new podcast titled Fox learns about... No, no, titled... Fox Troop. Titled Fox Troop, (laughs) in which Fox and I talk about F Troop and get hung up on the racism in the first episode. (laughs) Oh, boy. Honestly, F Troop kind of rules. Um, All right, what else have we got? We can't spend the whole time on this guy's resume. If nothing else, then I won't be able to guess in future movies. uh, Well, in in which case, yeah, that's... You know, he he was an interesting fellow, and... uh, doesn't appear to have been deeply depressing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. All right. So look. Oh. Okay. Now he, here is here is one of those things with historical language and and reference to these things. How Holloway was never married, and his claim as to why is because he felt lacking in nothing and did not wish to disturb his pattern of life. Wow. What a wonderful thing to be able to say about yourself. Yeah. And like, I'm not. I'm not saying that you know. Sterling Holloway, ace icon, or anything like that. But if we had, <laughs> no, if we had translated that, forward in time, that may well have, yeah. have been exactly what he was on about. Now, for all I know, what he means is I am actually having sex with thousands of different people at clubs and bars, and I'm ignore, and I don't want anything, any of that, to intrude in my life, which also just might mean arrow. But the the it point could is, also mean I'm gay AF, but I'm not allowed to say that because it's 1940. Yeah, and this is one of those. Ship in a bottle moments where you're peeking sure down the neck yeah. and you're like, well, what am I looking at here? I don't know. The, but, uh, yeah. the possibilities are limitless. Yep. 
And this is why it's good to have the language and have it around to share it. It's really His important. His earliest film credit was 1927. And his last credit was an episode of Moonlighting in 1986. That's a long career. That is 55 years. Holy heck. All right, so we're going to see a lot more of this. And he went out on Moonlighting. (laughs) Uh, Well, look, a lot of people would consider that a high point. Really weird. Anyway. (laughs) All right, all right. Uh, There's only a little bit left of this lightning round. Um... That sure is what baby kangaroos look like. Oh. In their infancy. Yep, yep. They come out covered in fuzz and looking like perfectly happy tiny kangaroos. Not at all like horrifying pink gummy worms. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who hasn't looked into marsupial life cycles. Oh boy. Uh, basically, a thing that's common to almost all native Australian animals is that they they give birth before they're done, basically. Yeah, they they need to go back in the oven. Yeah, you know that diagram you've seen of like a fetus that's in the womb? Yeah, they come out like that. And the parent just kind of lugs them around for a bit until like they're done cooking. Horrifying little gummy worm. Yeah. uh, Also, funny that you uh, pointed out that basically these are all just African animals. And a fucking kangaroo. And a kangaroo. (laughs) Fucking kangaroo. Ah, the most exotic of things. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have worked at an institution which has had to file a medical report with the category of drunkenly tried to fight a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Um, here's here's a thing. Here, this will probably be my last lightning round thing because the only other thing is I do like that shot where he lands on the power lines with the crows. Yeah. And just like... Complete with a note. Like that that, that right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, that's that, lovely. That teaches you cinematic language, like right? Because like, that's when, when something lands on a, on a cable, you hear that note. You're like, wait. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lovely... There's a lot of little moments. I think this is why this film stuck with me so well. Or maybe it's just because I saw all these moments 50 billion times. Possibly. But uh, there's a lot of uh, little animated I mean most of this film is just interesting bits of animation yep almost every scene is just alright we're here now let's have some characters do some slapsticky stuff and and there's a, there's some stuff some stuff that's clearly showing off like um <laughs> the sequence where um Timothy is looking in a soap bubble at his own reflection <laughs> well I mean the whole pink elephants thing again yeah but yeah. that but that shot like for a lot of the pink elephant stuff that was being done with lots of animation shortcuts no backgrounds no need for integration because well, everything's going a little bit loopy but in the situation you have uh, we're having a 2D animated character looking into a 3D curved surface that is at a different angle <laughs> to the audience so that is actually yeah, just know. hard they um the backgrounds are probably different in this one this should yes. have been in the technical section yeah i guess uh but yeah i, I did notice at the time they're a bit less detailed and yeah. all, but also like i'm not enough of an expert with traditional media to say oh this was done in thing but they looked like they were using an entirely different medium to the yeah i mean well not to fantasia because that's got everything in yeah. it yeah but Certainly to Pinocchio and Snow White, for sure. Much more vibrant colour palette, too. It looks it looks like fucking colour pencils, just really beautifully executed. Yeah. Maybe it's like oil pastels or something. Like, you know, artist crayons, basically. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, it'd be fun to find out. Also, first Disney movie we've watched so far to pass the Bechdel Wallace test. Oh, yes. The elephants do talk with each other about things that aren't explicitly about Dumbo. Yep, and they, they talk about the mother... And they also complain at one another while they're doing the performance. Oh, yes. They just bitch each other out for yeah. not being able to make a, a tower of... Oh, God. 
the animal abuse in this film. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> don't don't try and pick up animals by their tails. Just don't. Don't ever do There are a lot of animals in these Disney films so far being picked up by things cannot pick up animals by. And while I am ooh, ooh, usually... Pinocchio in, reference. <laughs> well, th- that's a really good example too. But, like, continually this is a thing. And while I am normally very much in the camp of uh, media-induced behaviours are a huge topic and it's not as simple as kids do things they see in movies. Uh... I definitely have a cat who I have apologized to many times in my heart uh, because I got the wrong idea about how you can handle animals from Deese. Yep. I blame you, Walt. I have one final bit for my lightning round. Okay, you go. Then I got one more. Okay, so, and this is this is like tangential. This is not even related, really. But you remember how Sterling Holloway had an amazing name and it was a very 40s name? Yes. His mother's name was Rebecca DeHaven Boothby. <laughs> See, that's not a very 40s name. That's a very pre-40s name. <laughs> that's an amazing name. Oh, that's... Oh, that's that's, vintage. that's positively Victorian. Yeah, he's also named after a Confederate general. Moving on! Boo! <laughs> I knew it was going to get yikesy somewhere. He's named after his dad, who was named after a Confederate general, but, you know... Oh, doesn't doesn't buy you anything. really kind of worse. Like, well, yeah. no, it's dad's name, really. Is it... Is it, are people on the street going to think, oh, you're named after your dad, that's it's, nice. It's, it's your dad got that name and was so proud of it, he wanted it again. <laughs> the racist so nice, they named him twice. <laughs> Alright, my final lightning round is, uh, I'm going to keep a watch on this in the future, but I'm pretty sure Dumbo has now had more costumes than any Disney main character we've seen, and possibly will see. Because he changes costume like six times in this movie. Admittedly, his costumes are minimal, but what I'm saying is he has a more extensive wardrobe than any given Disney princess. Okay, now, he's not likely to come up again, (laughs) but does the apprentice Mickey count as Mickey Mouse, or does he count as his own character? No, he's a different character. He clearly has a different context and lived experience from just Mickey being Mickey. Mickey's the actor. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And that's how all the the Mickey-centric cartoons work, really, like... You're not supposed to think, oh, this guy who's climbing a beanstalk in this one is clearly the same guy as the Sorcerer's Apprentice. So I have a, this is, we're not going to get, we're not going to do the, uh, the Disney afternoon TV series after this. So this is, you know, oh boy, there will never be a space task. for this. But I'd just like to say, I think Dumbo has more outfits than Huey, Dewey, and Louie <laughs> well, in the original DuckTales. I was going to say the new DuckTales might. Uh, fix that mm-hmm. but uh yeah i wouldn't be surprised i don't remember seeing them in anything i mean together <laughs> well they uh they definitely wore the this standard costumes and they also had the horrible boy scout analog costumes so that's four outfits well i oh okay we don't count color variants <laughs> no palette swaps don't count well that's the thing you have the three palette swaps and then you have the uniform that they all wear that's four costumes. I seem to recall them having slight variants. But then again, I was not a big fan of original Got to say. I've never been here for the Disney funny animal characters, like you, Mickey and Goofy and Dalton or whatever. I never gave a fuck about them. Yeah. I was a serious child who wanted serious cartoons where elephants got bullied for 40 minutes. What do we got next time? <laughs> then learn to strafe them. <laughs> Right, well, uh, I'm just going to finish this up by asking, uh, now if you recall, Fantasia cost a couple of million and made 
like seventy five or something. Do you want to hazard a guess at this one? Uh, no, but I am going to guess that this one probably tripled or quadrupled its budget. Ooh, boy, was this reads as a tremendous upset, and oh. I can't imagine what happened to it. Because even though there's not a lot of movie here, I feel like it deserves better than a budget of nine hundred and fifty k. So that's less than half of Fantasia already. Uh, but a domestic take of one point six million. So so it beat its budget, but not by a lot. Well, no, here's the thing. This movie almost doubled its budget. Not quite, but it almost doubled its budget. Uh, uh, that's not how I read those numbers, but okay. Let's be charitable with our rounding. Uh, okay, sorry, yeah, 0.9 versus 1.6. Okay, it got close to closer to double than... Yeah. <laughs> Closer to double than to breaking even. All right. But that's, I don't feel like that's a great record, especially compared to Fantasia. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is why they went, okay, we're going to make like six more feature film releases that are just compilations of music and short story. So you're saying you don't know. So, so you're saying that you don't know what happened, but it was a, must've been a severe upset. World War II broke out. Oh, right. Was this just very poorly timed for people not... Having the time to go and see a kid's movie right Yeah, now. and being told to do things with their money like buying war bonds. Oof. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess that's impossible to, uh, to ever. But uh-huh. we're looking at a ship in a bottle again. Um, what re- would Dumbo have been under more favourable circumstances? Um, now, according to Wikipedia, translating those numbers up to today, it, would, it cost about $16 million to make, and it made about $27 million. So yeah, not double its, not double its cost. But uh, definitely good considering World War. Sure, sure. And like, it is a very low investment from their point of view. Yeah. Like, if you consider this half as much and still made a profit, not too bad. Though also now saying that, do you want to know what I reckon also plays into that? What else? The fact that it's short. You can get more screenings in. Wouldn't that, that's that's your take, wouldn't you expect? Well, that's the thing. That might be why it was... Because according to the Wikipedia page, this was the most profitable of the period. I think Fantasia's number might be inflated by the fact that, for example, it was in theatre for 11 years in the 60s. Well, that's an interesting one, because my source is also Wikipedia. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how they could possibly make that claim, given their own numbers. Uh, well, just to read off the Wikipedia page, despite the advent of World War II, Dumbo was still the most financially successful Disney film of the 1940s. After its October 23rd release, Dumbo proved to be a financial miracle compared to other Disney films. The simple what? film cost only 950000 to produce, half the cost of Snow White, less than a third of the cost of Pinocchio, and certainly less than the expensive Fantasia. Dumbo eventually grossed more than $1.3 million. The film returned a profit of 850000 The film was re-released in theatres in 49, 59, 72, and 76. I mean... Those numbers are fine, but if you compare it to the take for Fantasia, I don't know how you could possibly claim it's the most financially successful. That's a bold conclusion to come to from that. Okay. okay. Uh, what according, have we according to Wikipedia, Fantasia grossed over 300,000 in its first 16 weeks. Hmm. Um, over 20,000 in the opening five weeks in San Fran, and almost the same in the first 10 weeks in Los Angeles and Boston. Uh-huh. Um, the first 11 roadshows earned a total of $1.3 million by April 1941, but the 85000 in production and installation costs of a single Fantasound, along with the theatres having to be leased, ah. forced okay. Disney to exceed their loan limits. 
The so the cost that's given for producing it is wildly inaccurate. The the cost they mentioned offhandedly in one of these other ones as I'm scrolling past, it says that Fantasia cost about 2.8 million to make. 2.3 was the number I had against a take of 78. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's which exactly... Which by all accounts is a astronomical success. Which I Much think, more successful than 950,000 turning into 1.6 million. Which I think is what's happening here where they are saying that the theatrical runs of this movie are all together being factored as its box office because Fantasia was in film from 1940 to 1941, then from 42 to 63, then from 69 to 1990. That's... God, movies used to have long runs. That's impossible. Surely not. Sure, like... Oh, no, they just... Yeah, yeah, they were just... Wow. Uh, yeah, so, so Fantasia was run in films so much that the original soundtrack started to deteriorate from overuse. No kidding. <laughs> I, apparently I'm mistaken. It looks like a, a huge uh, drop after Fantasia, but apparently Fantasia's actual profit only rolled in like two decades after they made the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, correction for last week, I guess. It yep. made a squidillion dollars, but not right now. And Dumbo was like, yes, all right, let's make something easy and get just, some goddamn money back. <laughs> just slap the vein. I appreciate that. <laughs> like, that's a mood. I, I I, mean, this effectively makes Dumbo pulp. And I, I love me some pulp. <laughs> I mean, surely almost everything Disney ever did was pulp. Fantasia was absolutely Fantasia was an not. art piece. And I feel like Snow White was not. Mm. But uh, I guess, and that's sort of what they tried to go back. Ooh, now we're going to talk some uh, some theory, but uh, I think that's very much what they tried to recapture with the Disney Renaissance, and that's, in my mind, what defines the things that should be considered Disney Renaissance films. Like, it's technically a time period, but that time period technically includes Hercules, which is not of the same uh, high-minded artistic intent as, say, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think this might be something we tussle over later. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, There's a little preview! Particularly <laughs> because I tend to resist the idea of categorizing quality. Well, it's not about quality. Um, it's like, I'm not saying one's crap and the other one's good. The fact that I also feel that well, yeah, that's the thing. tangential. Like, but... Her- Hercules is bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I also don't like Milan, but I don't think it doesn't belong in this selection necessarily. Yep. Um, but it's it's more about the mood and the, well, and the budget. Let's not get ourselves. Yeah. That's definitely a part of this as well. But like, there are some films which seem to convey an attempt to claw back being art rather than pulp. Um, which makes it ironic that, like, this, the second thing they did that the Renaissance got excited. Oh, no, there was Beauty and the Beast first. It makes Aladdin and the Lion King pretty funny. That's a surprise tool that will help us later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, good. Talon's Mickey voice has made another appearance. I'm glad. Yeah. You have one of those per episode, at least. Yeah. And, and, like, you know, yeah, so Dumbo was an economic sugar rush during World War II for a studio that at the time was having to deal with everything <laughs> i'm very pleased to to learn that given how depressing those numbers looked yeah they, I mean, they really look bad <laughs> it's, oh it's my favorite i guess everyone thought it. hey the listener uh you have no idea how patchwork this whole thing is so this might not even make it but you know if you want to talk about honors and registries about awards? uh yeah well it won an academy award Oh, hey, there we go. What for? Uh, for the best scoring of a musical picture. You know what? That's totally fair. Uh, it also was nominated for best original song. 
in in the Academy Awards before Baby Mine. Oh, I was going to say, tell me that wasn't for when I see an elephant fly. Oh, oh, oh my! But okay, so here's the other thing: the award for the best original scoring that Dumbo. Uh, um, scroll down to find it. Okay. Like that, I genuinely feel is richly deserved. Okay, so scoring of a musical picture. Here's the problem. This is all 1940s musical theatre. We're not going to know a damn thing about no, any of it. I'm not going to recognise shit else that was in this category. Yeah. Uh, but the important thing is, this is a category with about 11 different things. Okay? This isn't a matter of, yeah, Dumbo got a pity award because we made a category for it. No, this is this is a subcategory of best musical score. This is a thing people fight over. Especially at uh, this time, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a whole bunch of names in this that if you were big on this period of musical theatre, <laughs> you would be like, oh, my God, yeah. It was, oh, yeah, that's you know, M.W. Stoloff, I guess. Yeah. It also won in 1947 at the Cannes Film Festival uh, for Best Animation Design, which I can understand why they weren't running a Cannes Film Festival in 1943. Oh, I see. Sure. Uh, and the American Film Institute recognizes it in uh, various sure. different lists. some categories. Yeah. It, it's almost always going to come down to, it's one of the Disney musicals, it's going to get into a top 100, no matter no matter how good or bad it really is. Like, Snow White's in some of them. And that certainly movie, is. That movie is nothing. <laughs> see, you see how it's been? Like, we, have, we have four episodes under our belt, we now we can make callbacks to how shit I think some of them are. still bitching about Snow White. Is it a callback? I mean, really, it's just a statement of fact. <laughs> Double-checking our opinion on Snow White. No, still boring. Yep. Um, now, one tiny final weird thing. Whoopi Goldberg loves the crows. That's, I mean, that's something she is allowed to do. I would love to hear her take on that. I would love to hear that song redone by Black Artists. I would love to see that whole group done by just like, just give them to a bunch of black comedians and go do what you want with them. (laughs) Donald Glover. Amazing. That'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I'm obligated to go yikes because it is not my goddamn business. <laughs> she can think whatever she wants off them. Yeah, and besides, she was in uh, Detective Rex, so she can do no wrong. Oh, Fox, you don't know Detective Rex? What's Detective Rex? Okay, it's a buddy cop movie, right? Where one cop is uh, straight-laced and thoughtful and, and goes by the book, and the other one is a 12-foot-tall animatronic rubber dinosaur. So when you said it, I thought you were confusing it with Inspector Rex? No! Which is also a buddy cop story. Mm-hmm, but one of them's a dog, and that's German. And people die. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Yep, that sounds awful. Okay, I think we have officially squeezed everything we can out of this lemon. I, well, yeah, I mean, we're squeezing apples at this stage. I can... Can you squeeze an apple? No, that's the point. You can only pulp it. Hey, callback to the conversation about pulp, pulp media, pulping apple. Oh, you see, I see what you did there. Yeah, I definitely did that. Yep, never didn't have it. All right, nerd, what's next? (laughs) Uh, Pretty sure next is Bambi. Think you already got it. Less animal cruelty, but more animal death. Cool, 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 (laughs) cool. We're gone. We're moving along in the Disney oeuvre. From boring to boring and sad. <laughs> if you thought nothing much happened in Dumbo, then Bambi is gonna... Well, you're gonna have a fun time. 